It is good to worship with you uh, this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, one item I put on your radar, uh, I am deeply, personally grateful for the elders that serve at this church. They shepherd not just our congregation, uh, but even my heart. Uh, this week, they've just been um, kind brothers to me. But I bring that up because this upcoming Friday, we have uh, an elders retreat where our uh, lay elders and our staff elders, Dave and I, we uh, go into the woods somewhere. And uh, it's a retreat mainly aimed that we would be godly and humble men. So would you pray toward that end as our elders have a retreat this week? Well, here is a good question for us to chew on this Sunday morning. Are we a patient people? Often, if you ask a thoughtful person what they struggle with, many of them will say patience. Young children lack patience when they don't get what they want at the dinner table or there's some kind of squabble over a toy, perhaps. Teenagers lack patience because often they're in this strange season, right, teenagers? You're in this strange season where you're no longer kids, but you're not quite adults, yet you have adult desires, and aspirations. Singles are impatient in multiple ways. For some, it could be impatience with career or education or friends who just don't get it. Parents are impatient. Well, you know. <laughs> you know how kids can be, right? And, and parents are just as selfish and impatient as their children. Uh, older people are oftentimes impatient because things are different nowadays, or there's a physical infirmity, or, or even younger generations wrongly think that the older have nothing to offer, so there's an impatience there. Well, we'll be this morning in James 5, 7 through 12, if you'll turn there, and our sermon title is Patience in Suffering. Because as we will see in our text, patience isn't just needed in the day-to-day -day things that shape our lives, and we certainly need patience in those things. But we also desperately need patience in the midst of suffering, in the midst of circumstance, and in the midst of pain. And if you happen to find yourself in a season where there is no current pain, suffering, or circumstance, then allow me to gently to remind you that it is coming. We live in a broken world with broken people, and we ourselves are broken and sinful people. So, what would Pastor James have for us? We continue our series, Faith in Action, and our main idea, our main action, the main point of our passage is this, faithful followers of Christ patiently stand firm. Patiently stand firm. See, James is kind to not only give us an idea of what patience is, but he also gives us a tangible example of patience to strive toward. Consider with me first how we are to be patient like a farmer. Would you read verses 7 through 9 with me? Be patient, Therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earth early and late rains? You also be patient. 
Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. It's at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Well, we start our passage with a command. Be patient. And that's an interesting command because often we know, especially those who've had to interact with young children, we say, be, be patient. You force it. You command it. And the command is to be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. And I don't arbitrarily say brothers and sisters, to be fair, but rather in the language, it's the equivalent of the plural of, hey, you guys, brothers and sisters, be patient. And maybe you've heard it said before, but that little word, therefore, when you see therefore, you have to ask, why is the therefore, well, what's the therefore? Therefore, in verse 7, connects us to our passage last week, where James spoke sharp words to those who are rich and those who allow riches to not only corrupt their hearts, but impact their relationships. Sometimes they were oppressive, we read. So we come to verse 7 today. Therefore, in light of being persecuted that we read last week by the rich, in light of your suffering, in light of your own hearts being pulled towards riches, here's my command. Be patient. A more literal translation actually would be this. All y'all... Act patiently now and later, brothers and sisters. Who knew James was from Alabama? All y'all act patiently now and later. And now there's a few items I'd like to point out in this command as we are to be patient as a farmer. The first word that I'd like to submit to us is passivity. Passivity. Many of us today still have an understanding of this concept as it relates to a farmer. See, there's a lot of work and preparation for the harvest. But the most important work isn't done by the farmer. Preparation and care for the soil is absolutely essential. But unless the rain comes, unless the conditions are right, unless God blesses, all the work yields nothing. So my friends, there is a holy passivity with the farmer and the Christian. In the midst of suffering, we are not commanded to wait for early and late rains. We are told to patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. It's passive. The scriptures teach that Jesus' first arrival to this earth, it was the inauguration. It was the beginning of his kingdom as he rules over the hearts of his people in the church. The fullness of his kingdom will be experienced when he returns from heaven to conclude human history and make all things right and all things new. See, our patience, our waiting, our suffering has an end date with the coming of Christ. But we can't manufacture that coming, can we? While no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' coming, the scriptures promote this central question. Not, when is it happening? When is the end date? When will suffering finish? When will Jesus return? But the question of, will you and I be ready? Are we living 
and patiently waiting and trusting as faithful followers of Christ. The illustration of the farmer's patience is a reminder to you and I that there is a time to work, but there is a time to stop working, to stop scheming, to stop seeking to manufacture results, and just to wait upon the Lord, especially in suffering. This is especially key, I think, in the midst of suffering. Our tendency is to reject passivity and to fix the problem, to alleviate the pain and the suffering. That's what we're bent towards. i got to fix this. I hurt. i got to fix it. But perhaps that's at the expense of faith and trust and true patience. Perhaps even... Our lack of passivity, our bent towards action and fixing things in the midst of suffering, perhaps it's even at the expense of how the Lord would use our suffering to mature us, as James 1, 2 through 4 says. Well, it's not just passivity, a holy passivity, but also we see with the farmer, I think, a resolve. Patience isn't merely passive. I get this directly from verse 8, that phrase that says in our text, establish, or you might have a translation that says, strengthen, establish and strengthen your hearts. James says to his first century readers, the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are in the last days of Jesus and salvation. His return is not immediate, but eminent. It could happen at any moment. What exactly, though, does it mean for us to establish and strengthen our hearts? A farmer certainly has to have resolve and strengthening of heart as they wait for the rain. But Luke's description of Jesus might be helpful for us here. So Luke 9, 51 says this. When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face, same word as establish and strengthen your hearts. The same word in our passage that James uses, Jesus set his face. He established his heart. He strengthened his heart. He resolved to go to Jerusalem where he'd be beaten and crucified. Nothing would stop him. Yes, he would face suffering and pain, but he was resolved to follow the will of his Father no matter what was to come. A resolve, a strengthening, a setting our face. I wonder, what would it look like for you and I, brothers and sisters, to set our face, to have resolve in our patience in the midst of suffering? Perhaps it would be us being resolved To be faithful followers when sin tempts us on a Monday morning. Perhaps it would be us seeking, resolving to be faithful followers and trust him when cancer comes. Perhaps it would mean that we would be resolved to be faithful followers when we lose someone we love. It likely, perhaps, would mean that we're resolved to be faithful followers when someone intentionally or unintentionally hurts us. Like Jesus, may God enable us to set our face, to have resolve, 
to establish our hearts and to follow him patiently. To be patient waiters in the midst of suffering. But lastly, with our farmer example, I see another implication. Not just holy passivity, not just resolve in setting our face, but also I see an implication in our speech. I get this directly from verse 9. We are told to not grumble against one another because the Lord could be coming at any moment. And he comes not just to judge the world, Jesus, but he comes, and Jesus and Paul said this, he comes to hold you and I accountable for every word and every thought that springs from our heart. Now, why? Why would James include grumbling against brothers and sisters off the heels of a farmer waiting or the call for you and I to be resolved to hold to the faith. Because when suffering comes, when you and I endure circumstances that are painful, when we have sorrow in our heart, or even just when things don't go our way, we get loose with our lips and our thoughts. This circles back to true religion in James 1.26. He says, you know what true religion is? To bridle and control the tongue. Or it circles us back to James 3 and the righteous ways that we are to use our tongue. You see, we are reminded by our brother James that our words, our heart will be judged. How you and I respond to circumstances and suffering, how we treat others, it matters in the sight of God. And can I just confess, it's really easy for us to make justifications for our speech and our attitudes towards other brothers and sisters. It happens, not just in our homes, but in our churches. Well, yeah, I responded to them, but did you see what they said and did? And James gives us a category here. And really it should be our prayer that God would unify our hearts as a church, Lakewood. That we would not grumble against one another as we patiently wait and endure suffering and circumstances. So we are to be patient like a farmer, but next look with me as we are to be patient like those of old. That's not a dig on old people, but rather read with me verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. <laughs> I love James. I love James. He doesn't merely explain patience or resolve as we set our face and establish our faith in the light of the coming of Jesus. He gives us a tangible example. The first is broader and the second is more specific. So let's talk about the first one. The prophets. James says, you know who you should follow? You know whose example you should follow in patiently suffering and waiting? Follow the prophets. We're pointed to the prophets who suffered, who we consider as blessed ones because of their patience. Now, they faithfully lived and spoke the words of God, and they suffered in this life because of it. So who might come to mind? 
Well, Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, perhaps, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, maybe more contemporary example, John the baptizer comes to mind. All prophets and prophetic voices that patiently suffered. Now, just imagine for a second being Isaiah. Isaiah, I mean, he said it. Here am I, Lord, send me. God's like, all right, man, I got you. Here you go. I'm going to give you this ministry, Isaiah. Go tell the people of Israel and rebuke them for their sin and point them to the restoration that God would bring through the Messiah. Go do that. And oh, by the way, when you go, no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to be converted. It's, you know, you're just going to talk and it's just going to be dull. They're not going to hear. They're not going to respond. They're just going to sit on their hands. They might even give you some of that Minnesota passive-aggressive sit in my hands, you know, stone face. You know what I'm talking about. And God turns to Isaiah and says, go. And Isaiah and many other prophets, they did this. They were faithful and patient even when they didn't see the results. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to be patient and faithful when we don't see the immediate results of our labor? Will we trust God to use our patient suffering as he sees fit, just as the prophets did? Will we trust he's working even if our human eyes can't see what he's mysteriously doing in our life, in our hearts, and even those around us? Well, Let's sit on the more specific example for a moment next, Job. Job's a great example. Many may be familiar with this book in the Old Testament. The narrative of Job, if you're unfamiliar or it's been a while, the narrative of Job is essentially one of deep suffering and trust in God. Job lived and saw a great contrast between the love of God and the attack of Satan. So Satan attacked and took Job suffered terribly in the loss of his children, the loss of his livelihood, and even his wife thought poorly of him. He suffered physically. He had to deal with some compassionate friends who were knuckleheads at the same time. Job patiently suffered. And James says in verse 11, he remained steadfast. He preserved or persevered rather in the midst of great and terrible suffering. And here's why I'm grateful that Job is the example for us this morning. Would you naturally consider Job a patient, persevering man? Well, perhaps not. You might think of Job and remember that he had a lot of complaints about his situation. He wished he had never been born. He openly questioned God's working and providence in his life. He argued with his friends on the purpose of suffering. Job would not drop the fact that he was the innocent party in this, and his lot in life seemed unfair. All from Job's lips. Does this seem like a patient man in suffering? James says, yes. James would perhaps remind us that Job's face was set. 
He was resolved to patiently wait for God, even when his wife told him to turn from God and and to curse God and die. Job patiently said these things. Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not also receive evil? Or, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even our record of Scripture says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What does this tell us, brothers and sisters? It tells us that God is pleased with our imperfect faith and suffering. James says, you want an example, Lakewood? You want to know how to suffer and patient well? Look at this imperfect guy. Look at Job. You see, God is not angry when we feel hurt. He's not disappointed when we question, when we shake our fist, when we even push back against the counsel of friends that seem off. When in our deep hurt and pain, we ask, why? Why, God? Are you seeking to be patient in a season of life, or are you suffering right now? James says, look at Job. Look to his example. Look at a man who was honest in his situation, but had his face set towards God in the midst of the storm. Perhaps for you and I, it could look like this this week. Like those of old... I'm patient and faithful with my kids when I see no results. Like those of old, I set my face and I voice praise to God when I hurt. Like those of old, I follow Jesus' teaching even when others reject it or think it's stupid. Like those of old, I accept both hardship and and joy as God's best for my life right now. Like those of old, I will be a faithful follower in the midst of a broken world. So whether it be a farmer, Isaiah, or Job, we've been given great examples in the midst of suffering, of patience. (laughs) But my friends, they pale in comparison. Those examples pale in comparison to the ultimate example. See, we don't just seek to be patient as a farmer, patient like those of old, but we seek to be patient like Christ, like Jesus. Read with me, please, verse 12. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, you may wonder how this verse points to Christ. Many of you know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, and I haven't made it explicit in every sermon, however, Almost everything you find in the book of James is directly from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount are the very source of our verse 12. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let what you say simply be yes or no. 
So whether it be an oath in Jesus' sermon or the response in the midst of suffering from James's letter here, it is a call to an integrity in our words. Here's how one scholar explained it. When suffering injustice, one can be tempted to protect oneself through deceptive speech. Perhaps James mentions oaths to call suffering Christians to both endurance of heart and integrity of speech when the pressures of life would lead many to despair or compromise. I think that's incredibly insightful. We are prone to shape and bend our words when we suffer. James rightly reminds us that our deceptive or even hurtful words will bring judgment on ourselves. But again, okay, okay, I get it. But what does that have to do with Jesus? Is not Jesus' narrative found in the Gospels the ultimate, the most explicit, and the most captivating example of suffering in human history? Has there been anyone who has suffered injustice and pain the way Jesus has? The God-man, the Son of God, the perfect one without sin, unjustly maligned and rejected by his own people, beaten and mocked with no justification, abandoned by his friends and disciples, hung on a cross as he was inhumanely tortured, suffering the wrath of God, experiencing a punishment, a forsakenness, and a judgment in the place of sinners. Even after his resurrection, even today, enduring the ridicule, unbelief, and the pain of people rejecting and hating the one who came to forgive the sins of men, women, and children and give them new hearts. What does the scripture record of Jesus's integrity in the midst of suffering? What does the scripture say? What words did Jesus provide? Was his yes, yes, and his no, no? Well, let me give you a few examples. Mark 14, 36. Jesus in a garden, knowing that the cup of God's wrath would fall on him, in the midst of pain and suffering, Jesus says these words, Yet not what I will, but what you will, Father. I'll admit, I don't have that kind of integrity when I'm enduring pain and suffering and circumstance. Very rarely would I even think of a passage like that. But what else did Jesus say in suffering? Matthew 27, 14. But he gave him, that's Pilate, no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus, in the midst of suffering and torture and ridicule and unbelief, he didn't defend himself. He didn't say, yeah, 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 but, but wait, wait, wait. But rather, Jesus' integrity his speech in the midst of pain and suffering, it showed, it harbored no ill will, no anger, no lashing out, 
Jesus was silent. Third example, Luke 23, 34. As he hung on a cross, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That kind of integrity in the midst of suffering When you and I are bearing our own crosses and going through our own circumstances and suffering at the hands of other people, how often do we pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. See, in Jesus, we see a great integrity and faithfulness in his suffering. And if you're visiting here, or you're considering Christianity, or you've been a faithful follower of Christ for years, this is your Savior. This is the character of Christ, the one who suffered patiently on your behalf, the one who spoke with integrity in his suffering, the one who spoke with compassion in his suffering, the one who spoke with other people in mind in the middle of his suffering. May we do the same. Jesus was the one who spoke the world into existence. And he is the one who maintained his resolve. His face was set in the midst of suffering. He did die on that day of suffering. But three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death. And whoever believes in him has eternal life, a new heart, a new life, and the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Christian, lives in you. And that's the same spirit that will shape, protect, and use you in the midst of suffering. So when you suffer this week, and in the weeks and months and years ahead, ask the Spirit of God to enable your heart, mind, and tongue to pursue this example. And by the Spirit of God. It's not just an example. But Christ is the one who enables us to actually have that kind of obedience toward God. The one who spoke with integrity. The one who didn't seek his own interest in selfish ways. Brothers and sisters. We who are faithful followers of him. The Christ. The Savior of the world. May we follow not just this ultimate example. But may we recognize him as the giver of life and the giver of promises to suffering saints in our families, in our communities, and all over the world. So cling to him. Follow him. Cry out to him in your suffering. Be patient and wait. We are one day closer to heaven. Because faithful followers of Christ patiently stand firm. I recently finished reading a biography of James Taylor. uh, James Taylor. I've recently listened to some music of James Taylor. I hope you're not offended by that. If you are, you'll get over it. Uh, I recently finished the biography of uh, Hudson Taylor, much more spiritual. Although fire and wind, I mean, whew. Um, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to inland China, and um, what an example of waiting patiently and suffering. 
uh, they sent their kids back to England. Uh, it was just it was a rough place for little children, and his wife died on the mission field. So as I'm reading this letter that he wrote to his children, telling them that their mother has died, and him communicating with just, I mean, it's, it's, the tears are on the page, just with great pain and sorrow, how he lost the, the one person, and many of us feel this in our marriages, like the one person who just won't put up with me, but like the one person who gets me, the one person with whom my soul is united. And what's remarkable in Hudson Taylor's uh, biography and his writings is the way he spoke in the midst of patiently waiting. The way he spoke of the hope of eternity. Yeah, I lost my wife, but, but Christ is good and I can't wait to be with him in eternity. Yes, I lost my wife, but I am resolved. I'm Leaving China? No, I'm staying. I'm resolved. I have my face set towards following Christ faithfully. And again, in his speech, in his example of how he used his words to his little children, begging them to cling to Christ, speaking well of a good father who allowed suffering in his own life. You know what's encouraging about not just Hudson Taylor, and, and it, you know what's encouraging in all this? Brothers and sisters, it's already true of your life. The Spirit of God has enabled many of you to suffer faithfully. And like Job, he is pleased with your imperfect patience. He is pleased with you as you're grasping in the midst of your suffering. Brothers and sisters, that is grace. Would you pray with me that God would help us to suffer well? Father, we confess that a sober topic like suffering and the idea of patience, well, they, they seem opposed to one another. But Lord, we know that by your Spirit, all things are possible in Christ Jesus, that you are able to not only give us deep contentment, but a great love for Christ. Lord, you are able to change our hearts in such a way that when we meet suffering and pain, we will have an appropriate holy passivity, a right resolve, and an integrity in our speech. Father, when we suffer tomorrow in the days ahead, would you help us to be a people that looks different than this world? Would you help us to be a people that shines the light of Christ? Would you help us to be a church that when we suffer and people come here and see us in our midst, that they praise God for how God has worked in our life? Please do all these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.